0: But of that church in action and moving, as it were. And we come to this passage today, which I've entitled Good News for All. I don't even remember the old hymn. There's an old hymn called God is Working His Purposes Out. Yeah, lovely old hymn. God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purposes out and the time is drawing near, nearer and nearer draws the time the time that will surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Wonderful, wonderful hymn. And this is really what the book of Acts is all about. All right? God is working his purposes out. And hopefully, as we've been journeying together since the beginning of January, you would have seen some of that. It's a journey that's taken us from Jesus' ascension, right back in chapter 1, through Pentecost, the establishment of the early church, a church that then faces persecution and is scattered, as it were, the church that has to face the death of its first martyr uh, in Stephen, but clearly a church that was endowed and led by the Spirit to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to Judea, <clears throat> to Samaria, but then finally to the ends of the earth in obedience to Jesus' command to his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel for all who would follow him. Now last week I believe Ian Buchanan was here and he would have spoken to you about the Acts 9, the vision of Paul, <coughs> excuse me, of Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul a a Pharisee who took on a new name of Paul and in time became known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he wrote in Galatians 2 and verse 8, he said, For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. And really the second part of the book of Acts becomes much more about Paul than it does about Peter. Peter. And last week, hopefully, Ian would have relayed uh, Saul's dramatic encounter on that road to Damascus. And I think what we read about here, by the way, this morning, is another dramatic encounter, the one this time experienced by Peter, who is one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Although Peter was already a follower of Jesus... I think the events that happened to him in this story, in Acts 10 and Acts 11, first part of, would have really shaken him up, stirred him up, caused him to really evaluate his understanding of what this really was all about. If you think about it, a fundamental aspect of Peter's Jewish Christian faith included the Old Testament teaching about making a clear distinction in his life between the Jew and the Gentile, between what might be considered clean and unclean. And I think Peter's experience, actually, in this passage, warns us and counsels us that although we might sometimes think we know a lot about our faith and God's word, there's always room. There's always room to learn more. There are always times when God can step into any of our lives and show that we have much also to learn in his word and the way we express it. So I think if we are going to grasp what is happening in the story this morning, we need to put ourselves into Peter's shoes. Peter, a devout Jewish Christian, a leader of the church in Jerusalem, and yet someone who was very personally challenged and humbled by a very deep revelation of what God was really doing as he was working his purposes out as years succeed to years. Our faith is not a static experience. We need to be open to the new as well. And I think it's also worth just pointing out as another word of introduction that the Cornelius story, of which Lynn very kindly read the first 23 verses, actually encompasses 68 verses in the Book of Acts. So it's a big chunk of narrative And I think that demonstrates how important the author, Luke, considered this story within the, within the, the overall book of Acts. I mean, it's seen very much as a pivot point, as we will see in a minute. Those 68 verses are broadly broken into four pieces. One is Cornelius and his vision. The second is Peter and his vision. All right. And then beyond the reading we had today, Peter goes on, he goes to, to, on to uh, Cornelius' home and he shares the gospel with the, their family and the whole family accept it and the Holy Spirit is poured out powerfully on them and they're baptised. And the last chapter of the story, as it were, Peter then has to go back to Jerusalem and explain to the, the Jewish Jerusalem church what it seemed that God was really doing, what was really really happening as well. So it's a long story, and we're just going to look at that first bit this morning. But here's your homework when you get home. Do, do read on from that. To, to, from basically it would be verse 24 of Acts 10 to uh, it'd be about uh, chapter 11, about verse 15, I think. Do read on to get the whole story. So with that words of introduction, I'm going to just turn after that. I'm going to leave the scripture up there so for you to read if you wish to and, and see it again. So the story starts with at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment, and both he and all of his family were devout and God fearing people, and he'd give, he give, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So here we have Cornelius coming into the story. He's a man clearly of authority. He's a military man, but he's also described as god-fearing and devout. Whilst often people in authority can use their social, their status as worth well, for social gain to their own advantage, it would appear that Cornelius is a model of someone who not only acted charitably towards those in need around him but that he also had a meaningful inner prayer life as well. Cornelius would have been called what is termed a God-fearing Gentile. He wasn't fully a Jewish convert, a proselyte, but he was a God-fearing Gentile. But it also appears that he did adhere to Jewish times of prayer. He took time aside regularly in his day to pray. Because we read in verse 3, About three in the afternoon, which is one of the times of prayer for the Jew, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God coming to him and saying, Cornelius. So it is likely that Cornelius was in prayer when God spoke to him through the angel. And although he was a powerful military man, it's quite clear that he stood in a good place before God because he stood in awe before the Almighty. We're told that the presence of the angel filled him with alarm. Cornelius stared at the angel in fear, the scripture says. What is it, Lord? he asked. And the angel answered him, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back the man named Simon, who is called Peter, for he's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. The angel seeks to allay Cornelius's fear by assuring him that God had taken note of his prayers and his good deeds. But the implication appears to be here that God plans to answer his prayers, but it's not quite clear how that is going to happen at this stage. The angel instructs him, to send Peter, send to Peter who's about 30 miles away in Joppa and to invite him to come to his home. And Cornelius doesn't delay but he dispatches some servants to Joppa and while they are on the way, as it were, the the, the focus of the story moves on and it turns now to Peter. Peter who is staying at the home of a man named Simon, another Simon, Simon the Tanner, he's being hosted by a christian brother probably a laborer a poor man who was yet happy to share all he had with peter while peter's ministry kept him in that town so we turn now to peter's vision check they're coming up all right. yep. Good. i'm just going to reread it just so we, we get the flavor once more About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice said to him, <clears throat> get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Luke recalls this happened three times And then the sheep was taken back into heaven. Again, let's take note, there's another time of prayer here. It was noon, but again, it was Peter now who was in prayer as God spoke to him. So both Cornelius and Peter were in that place of prayer as God spoke to them. Now, Peter, as a Jew, would have been very familiar with the regulations laid out in Leviticus 11 about clean and unclean foods. And to this day, as you probably know, well know, the Jewish kosher customs for food selection and preparation remain a fundamental part of Jewish identity. And this, that practice is one of obedience, effectively, to the Scriptures. It's an obedient act on the part of the devout Jew. And, but it created a line of division between Jew and Gentile. The two could not share table fellowship for fear that the Gentile impurity, as it were, would contaminate the Jewish purity. So Peter was an Orthodox Jew. He would have lived like that in his life, and kosher practice would have been very much a fundamental part of his religious understanding. But now God seeks to help him come to terms with the deeper implications of what the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was really all about. The law had created a dividing line between the Jew and the Gentile. But now, in Christ, a new age was breaking in. A new covenant had been formed in the cross of Christ between God and humanity. A covenant that was established no longer on law, but on grace and faith and Paul writes writes this in Ephesians 2 he said for he himself is our peace this is speaking obviously of Jesus Jesus who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations His purpose was to create in himself one new person out of the two, thus making peace. And in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So it was for that reason he came and preached peace to you who were far away, to the Gentile, and peace to you who were near the Jew. For through him, both, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. <coughs> Excuse me a minute. <coughs> so the, un- the, un- <coughs> Sorry. the understanding that the Gentiles should be considered unclean as aliens and as strangers, as far as the Jewish covenants and promises were concerned, is completely turned on its head by the gospel of Christ. The gospel declares that as far as Jew or Gentile are concerned, there was now no difference between them, either in matters of condemnation for sin or salvation. And again, Paul writes about this in the letters to the Romans. He writes in one spot about condemnation. He said the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And a bit later later he writes, again he says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Speaking of salvation he says, the same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The glorious gospel message steps out so that all who would seek, uh, get over all that seeks to divide us, whether it is racial, whether it is cultural, ethnic, gender, or whatever. The gospel speaks across all those divides. What is happening here in the book of Acts, right in this, this middle chapter, chapter 10, is really pivotal. It is fundamental, because God is revealing to Peter the implications of the gospel. Yes, a message given first to the Jew, but now made, given freely to all. And I imagine Peter, as for many of the early Jewish followers of Jesus, this must have become as quite mind blowing, quite shocking. I imagine it would have taken Peter quite some time to try to come to terms with what was being said to him through his experience and what was happening. Regardless of where we grow up, regardless of our background, regardless of our gender, regardless of our language, regardless of our learning or our lack of learning, there can be no distinction amongst God's people, people who are called heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So when we get into that mode of thinking, we can judge one another, we can consider one person to be cleaner than another. We are fooling ourselves, for God has forgiven both our sins. As I said, the full implications of what God is revealing here to Peter must have taken him quite some time to grasp. He certainly doesn't seem to get it straight away. He didn't just go, oh, got it, I'll move on now. It took events later in Acts 10 and Acts 11, when the Holy Spirit really stepped in and, and and, as it were, anointed those Gentile believers who declared their faith in Christ. It was there that Peter really started to see what what God was now doing. And then the last little bit of our reading, as it were, these two visions, quite separate visions come together. God's purposes, there's a bit over here, there's a bit over here, but actually now, as it were, the paths join and actually we move forward. While, God, well, sorry, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, so he's still going, no, don't know what this all means, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And again, it says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men, men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them to you. And again, I'm just trying to emphasise that point, that Peter is still trying to understand what this all means. But even with his partial understanding, he obediently responds to the Lord's leading, that he should go with these men to the home of a Gentile centurion, a man who would be considered unclean, and share the gospel message with them. And it was only as Peter then acted in obedience but he came in time to realise and see God's greater plan. Now, if he, hadn't, if he decided he wouldn't have gone with the people, he would have stayed where he was. You know, I wonder if he would have understood, really, what God was seeking to do. He didn't see it all up front. He might have been the leader of a church, but he didn't see enough of it all up front. But he saw enough to step out in faith and to walk in faith. So really, just to bring us to a summary of... A few items, you can click down, don't we? To try and summarise the relevance again for us today. As I, I would encourage you to read on from verse 24. It's not that many. But it's good to get the whole picture, because this is what God's doing, and it's good to see that whole piece. It could be your bedtime reading. But it's really, the first thing is, it's about a gospel open for all. This is the pi- why this piece of Acts is seen as a pivotal point in the whole book. The point at which the church moves from Jerusalem and Samaria and is basically equipped and enabled to step out into all different sort of racial and cultural different, different situations. It is a move... For, uh, Look back to front. I'm going to do it this way around, excuse me. I end up in a different sequence, I've just realized, between my sheets, so I'd speak to one. I think it's really, this text actually talks about helping us recognize we all have more to learn. You know, it doesn't matter how much learning we've had in the gospel, you know, it never ends. God's far too big for this. And we all need to take time out to learn and to recognize that. And that's what requires humility. You know, when I meet sometimes a Christian who seems a little bit too full of what they think is right, I am wary, cautious. They may be right, but I'm not sure it's a great attitude. I think you're much better being humble in your faith and actually sharing the limits of what we know, the fact we see only partially sometimes with those who are seeking faith as well. Um, Recognize that God can do new things. You know, God, we sometimes get in a church mode. and some religious forms but don't seem to be very open to change I don't think that's really God's space God always seems open to life and change so we need to be trying to be open to life and change as well thinking of the centurion, here's cornelius he 's a good guy he's a, he's, he do, he, he, do, he gives things to people he's a charitable guy um, He often stands in awe of God. He doesn't really understand God from a Christian's perspective initially in the story, but he he certainly is a God-seeker, a God-fearer. Right? And God is answering his prayers. Whatever he's prayed to God, it seems like within this story, what we're seeing is God leading him to Christ. And Peter's the means to help him him do that. So that's what we see. Good guys, even good guys, people who do lots of good things, still still need Christ. And again, that's what the word here, I believe, shows us. It's interesting also that Cornelius and Peter both clearly um, were spoken to when we were taking time out to pray. God can speak to us in the noise of the day, I know that. But I think that time, that willingness to step aside, to be with the Lord on occasions in the day is a commendable practice for the Christian. It saves God maybe having to shout at us. In the noise of our lives, or stop us to pay attention. And the other little lesson I think that comes out of it is this last one, which is if only as Peter stepped out in faith, you know, still not seeing the whole picture, that he, le- he came to realize what the, whole, the bigger picture was. If he'd just stayed in the, the Tanner's house in Joppa, you know, I wonder would he have ever seen the full realization of what God is doing. So those are just a few of the little points that I think we can just draw out of this text for ourselves in the uh, year 2022. I thought I would just close with this scripture uh, here, which is just, it comes from Galatians, because I think it is so central as to how we uh, behave towards one another. and, and recognising that we, you know, we need to be very open and inclusive as church. But having said that, not uh, putting aside what we believe to be the case with Jesus Christ. So anyway, you are all children of God, Paul says, through faith in Christ Jesus. There really is no difference. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ... So there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for so you're all one in Christ Jesus. So we recognise that and the unity of, of, the, of the believers and of the church. But hopefully also from the message you recognise how this is a message that is spoken by God to the whole world. It's, no, it's not a message just for a certain people or, or nice people or people we find easier to talk to. It is very much a, a gospel for all. And sometimes we're put in a place in our lives where we can speak humbly about the gospel to someone we don't find very naturally easy and compatible. But this crosses all those barriers. This walks across them and says, the gospel is you know, for all. So make sure we speak it to all. <laughs> Amen.